The Brandon Peters Show may contain explicit language and detailed plot points. For more information on the show, stay tuned to the end of the episode. It's been a while since we closed this week on a song, but we're back. And today we are checking out Bananarama's video for Venus. Returning to discuss it with me from the Saturday Evening Post, Troy Brownfield. Hail Venus. Hail Venus, <laughs> yes. Uh, Venus is a cover of the 1969 song by Shocking Blue. Uh, it was the second single from the third album for Bananarama, True Confessions. It also featured the singles Do Not Disturb, More Than Physical, and A Trick of the Night. This song peaked at number one in the U.S. and five other countries. It's their most successful single of their career. True Confessions, also their highest charting album, reaching number 15 on the U.S. Billboard 200. Uh, the song is a dance version of that uh, cover, so it's kind of it's got its own sort of twist on the thing, which is some of the best you know best covers. When instead of just playing it straight, um, it was a song that was doubted upon its presentation, and it almost didn't get recorded for this album. Uh, and it took the band from their tomboy style to a more sexy, glamorous look. Uh, Troy. Uh, are you familiar with the Shocking Blue version, which we already talked about in the previous episode, but for those who may have just tuned in here? Yeah. Um, the Shocking Blue, uh, they're a Dutch band, uh, which I paused to look up because I should think in Swedish, but they're mm-hmm. Dutch. And um, it, it has um, a lot of that, what you consider this typical 70s instrumentation and kind of like a you know very 70s rhythm some of these other uh nordic bands like a golden earring or whatever they have that, mm. <laughs> that kind of um presentation that the there's not a lot of difference in terms of melody um but the banana rammer version is faster paced and like you said the other one is is uh a, a kind of a jangle pop yeah number i mean it, it is a very 60s inflected kind of song and then um, when you move to Venus, it, in terms of the Bananarama version, it is keyboard heavy. It is dancer. It, it's fitting right in with the other stuff of the era. Um, you compare it to, you know, Madonna, Duran Duran, Kim Wilde kind of stuff. I mean, it's that kind of pocket. And mm-hmm. but one of the other things that's immediately identifiable about Bananarama is that all three women sing lead simultaneously yeah they don't swap vocals like a, a you know spice girls or destiny's child or other um you know so-called girl groups they they all sing lead all at the same time throughout almost every song <laughs> right which is a really difficult thing to pull off but yeah. that kind of unique sound that they get is because it's, it's all voices at once and i i think that you know they they already had a fan base. The first big hit, at least in America, was Cruel Summer. Right, wait, so used already, in Karate Kid, yeah. Yeah, people already knew it. So for them to 
come along with this, it was kind of a amplification. And a lot of people, you know, it's it just, it's a normal thing with kids when they hear a song for the first time, they don't know it's a cover. <laughs> right, right, right. And they also did a cover. They, um, when the album with crew summer, they did na, 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 Hey, 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 goodbye. Yeah. They had a cover, which was a hit in the UK, but I'm pretty familiar with, it. I mean, it's been, I mean, I think it's get, gotten used on commercials, shows, stuff like it's, it's, awareness is more not from it being a single here but maybe where it's been used in other medias possibly yeah and, and they're also um in that period bananarama was on uh do they know it's christmas by mm. band-aid so that's another reinforcing thing and you mentioned the the tomboy image they were uh kind of purveyors of the one-sided uh sweatshirt you know off the yeah. shoulder like the flash dance and stuff you saw a lot of that and in in this it's it's not so much um glamorous as that they are like wearing like very current fashion kind of stuff like yeah yeah denim jackets and the white jackets <laughs> stuff like right that. right yeah they, they spend an awful lot of time in the video in costume as different archetypes right yeah definitely and then they have the one where then with the fire they have like a black top and some like ripped up yeah, jeans yeah. and then there's like a background there's another backdrop where it's a bunch of like film clips playing really fast in the behind them projecting over them and then they've got yeah. white tops and like i think cleaner cut jeans yeah it's like well, kind of a strobe effect yeah and their hair isn't as frizzy in that one i think too i think they <laughs> yeah they're trying to do like heaven and hell stuff with with them um <laughs> yeah but are you like were you for like big time familiar with bananaramas i think we were talking about huey lewis and things that had a big imprint at the time but maybe right. not so much the awareness is kind of gone in the, the lengthy sense. I think they kind of have it. I went down, per, like, personally, I went down a Bananarama hole today because I was like, yeah, I remember all the, like, and I was like, I'm going to I'm gonna listen to more Bananarama because I, I like the music. And I think this, nowadays, this music's still around. They call it dream pop instead of just UK pop music that came around. But um, there's a, they reminded but there's a band i like a lot called aura simone and they oh, yeah. really sound like the child of bananarama and i never thought of aura yeah. simone that way but well yeah it, it's it's interesting because like banana rama in a lot of ways is kind of like very just straightforward pop like yeah. i heard a rumor um they had a big hit with i heard a rumor which is on the disorderly soundtrack which is a a weird thing but kind of after that um and this is gained, I don't know how obscure this gets for some people, but Siobhan Fahey left the group yes. and co-founded Shakespeare's Sister, mm-hmm. which had a couple of hits, you know, Stay and I Don't Care, this early 90s. And another person joined Bananarama, whose name will lose me at the moment, but that group kept going and they still reunite different configurations of the of the four. <laughs> and, right. And, and play, so they still have uh, a presence musically they were um, a trio one left they replaced her that one left and they became a duo for a while yeah 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 and, and it's interesting you mentioned Arvor simone because um i hadn't heard them until twin peaks the return oh okay you know yeah. and then and then i do totally get what you're talking about which that um lynch is big on the the dreamy pop the chromatic mm, like beach house and yeah yeah, you know, a lot of those those bands he's he's big on, but I can see that that bridge mm-hmm. um following through. Um 
with with the Venus, um, this is uh, one of those I think kind of archetypal videos of the era. I think even if people don't remember Bananarama by name or whatnot, they probably remember the video for Venus. Right. Well, and also the Venus, the songs legacy went in like what there's a women's hygiene product that used it in a very popular campaign. Yeah. Like Venus razor, right? Or something. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. And I can picture the commercial right now with that, with the, the song. Uh, played on it, but yeah, this is a huge one. Um, and Bernard Ramel had some staying power through the 80s. I mean, they didn't get bigger than this, but they hung around and through the early 90s, I would say, with in terms of being relevant. Yeah, but, um, one of the things that's interesting about the characters they play because you've got the whole the Venus idea, goddess mm-hmm. of love, etc. So they do have some archetypal like Aphrodite kind of costumey, but then they also go with a devil and mm-hmm. a vampire and, and, <laughs> and a mermaid esque type. The, yeah, the shell that, that what's that painting? With the, oh, the birth of Venus birth of Venus. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. That's what you're saying. <laughs> hey, yeah. it's late. No, yes. but it's, but, but, it, but it's, it's different. It, it's all about um, empowering female figures like mm-hmm. empowering supernatural female figures so they take the cue from venus and they do these kind of you know different versions of those archetypes um which people would write papers on today yeah <laughs> you what? know if if destiny's child had done a video where beyonce was the vampire queen and everything you know we'd be getting like 500 to 1000 words in time about it right and the, the funny thing is like these girls, these women, like, they look like they could, I mean, they look so well put in this and act so well that it almost feels like they casted actual models to be these things rather than just band people. Like, that. Yeah. Like, it's like a what? Like, it, they're not bad looking kind of, women to begin no, with with their thing. But when you when they're put like this, like, holy crap, they look like actual, like, supermodels they may have cast for this. Yeah, it, it's a noticeable byproduct of the video era that, you know, musicians got more attractive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, true. It, it, they, they usually point to uh, the first big star of the 80s was supposed to be Christopher Cross right up until videos yeah. exploded, <laughs> you know, and I, it sounds shitty. But, you know, the guy had big hit songs, you know, with Salem and Arthur's theme and everything, mm-hmm. but, you know, and he himself admits, he's like, I couldn't hang with videos because all of a sudden, you know, genuinely good performers were out there, but they looked better in the clips. You know, and Hall yeah. and Oates admit they had terrible videos, but they were entertaining and yeah. they had great songs. So it didn't really matter how stupid the video was if the songs were out of touch and man eater and <laughs> you know. Yeah. There. But but Banana was a whole thing of like, you know coming up on the back of they had had you know mtv was positioning they had cindy lopper they had madonna they had this new influx of female talent and a girl group was kind of the next logical extension of that and even though they were from the uk it was like a very easy thing for them to say them right <laughs> you know if you look there's kind of a gap and then suddenly 
you know, after, after Venus, you get like expose and some more girl groups for a period of time. There wasn't really mm-hmm. too much. It's a lot of female fronted bands. Like there was an era post Blondie of, you know, missing persons and, you know, a lot of female fronted acts or acts with a female singer, like the Thompson twins had the alternating. Male right. And female. But there weren't a lot of girl groups at this point. True. True. Um, yeah. This video, um, a bus out there. It's directed by Peter Carer. Is it Carre? I don't. He uh-huh. cares. Uh, <laughs> but he he's no. He did music, he did music videos for the rest of uh, True Confessions album. But he he's notable. He did videos for Thomas Dolby, Depeche Mode, Tina Turner, Los Lobos, Belinda Carlisle, Fine Young Cannibals, REM, Tom Petty, Bruce Springsteen. Like he was all over, and he did multiple videos for these people. Um, REM's was Man on the Moon. Uh, he did do that one. Um, he also, aside from music video directing, does one episode of Red Shoe Diaries. He did uh, an episode of Six Feet Under, a David Copperfield CBS special in the 90s, okay. and also the movie, which was, I think, it was pretty acclaimed little indie uh, with Jodie Foster back when it came out, Dangerous Lives of Altar Boys. Oh, wow. He what directed a, that. It's resume. This it's like his one feature film, yeah. But, uh, I mean, he must have been well-known in the back. I mean, to get, like, a gig like that. Uh, not that he was in, like, high demand for films, but uh-huh. there's a lot of big-name people in that movie. Um, but, yeah, he, he comes here, and it's, you know, this is 80s experimental thing. There, there's a, we're talking about different um, different uh, spaces in this movie with the the women in power and where they're singing. Yeah. But there's, there's one, there's one, uh, spot there's a red room with a table and a clock and it's like some sort of french mime thing going on i don't <laughs> know where that fits into this yeah thing but there you go um there is a big element of uh videos in in this era of let's just throw some weird shit in there yeah and i'm i'm here for it like just, yeah go crazy uh there they also the choreography in this is kind of funny especially the three girls when they're just them supposedly dancing and singing they have yeah the the arms they have like the zombie arms that come like close to the screen oh and then they they do the bat suey they do the through there uh it's it's a trip um i swear man if you had just come up to me on the street at one point you're like troy had been in a room dancing venus i just still remembered it even yeah, without, you know, I would have, I could have told you that it was it was the hot moves of the summer right there. Um, yeah, or whenever it came out, I think maybe it was summer. It was, I don't know. Yeah, I, I seem to remember it as a summer song. I mean, that might I, I seem to remember it being uh, kind of right around the same time that uh, Tom Jones covered "Kiss." Okay, <laughs> Prince. It may not have been, but I seem to associate that. Oh wow! That, wow. No, it's yeah. a it's a fun one, and I would like it wasn't on my my mind or radar till we watched the documentary, which it is featured for a good chunk in there, um, yeah. which surprised me. I'm like, oh, th- okay, it's the devil picture. Even Banana Rama, it's not far from Satan. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, and I, but I I truly enjoyed going. Like I know I know sure I know more of their stuff and going down a little rabbit hole of yeah. even stuff I didn't know. Um, I liked. I was enjoying. I was like, man, this is this is kind of in there and um, sort of a you know, 
maybe banana rama a lot of their stuff could be a new to me discovery so i'm kind of glad i went through this it was was in my wheelhouse of kind yeah of- I, I think that banana rama is also an example of uh, england being far kinder to their pop stars um yeah, in a they- long-term basis because in england you know in, in europe really uh, they set up we we have coachella and Lollapalooza, but they have a lot of festivals, not just Glastonbury, which is the one that we always think of, but mm-hmm. um, you know the the Hyde Park shows and all these different things. And a lot of these older acts um, still get on these festivals, and they might play only a handful of songs, but they're there. They mm-hmm. go and play. And I've seen footage of you know later stage Bananarama doing some of these festivals, right. and the crowd is just as happy to see them. And we aren't sometimes as charitable with no. people in the states, especially you know. Let's be, let's face it, female artists, yeah, are not treated as well long term. I still feel like hip hop only gets to have one or two female artists at a time, and they shove them aside. You know, yeah. and I think that's something that the labels do, um, and it's unfortunate. And I think that that's the same way with female pop groups, and I think that. Um, they're at a period of time where the labels don't know how to react to um, a girl group like Blackpink, who is massively, wildly successful online, but they also come from another country and can't be controlled by mm. <laughs> American I, label interests. I think America also kind of for a time obsessed on like the, the where are they now aspect, like, Oh, I can't wait for them to fail so we can, no, yeah. like you know that that kind of like intentionally dumping and they for a time they would let an artist could build up because Bananarama didn't hit instantly they yeah Cruel Summer was a couple albums and, and some of these artists happened but once you had the one like downturn you were out and for and like yeah. Bananarama didn't most of the stuff post 91 or something didn't even get released in the US it was UK only um but which is crazy but um yeah you well, think 90, 91 is a big, you know, as we've talked about before, I think it, it sounds scan and a, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Huge turning point. Who gets to play? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it's, it's crazy. But now we don't even like, um, get to build. Like I was watching, uh, it's, uh, Chelsea Christers, uh, guest of the show, her documentary, um, talks about how we don't get a build artist anymore. They have to come out right out of the gate Lord, and had, yeah, if it was the same way back in the '60s and '70s, we'd have never had Pink Floyd. Oh yeah, um, like we I, would they, we would have never gotten the Wall. We never gotten Dark Side of the Moon. Like it, like they took a while to build up to the the Floyd that's considered their big time. But uh, bands don't get that opportunity now. I had an article out uh, earlier this week relative to when we're making this episode. Um, it was on Aria Speedwagon. Mm-hmm. And they had multiple albums before they convinced the label to let them make the live album in 77 that actually broke them mm-hmm. um, wide because they, they they were cued by the Kiss Alive album. Kiss also had four albums before Alive really made yeah. them kiss. And, you know, you if you didn't, you, you got that build up. You got that time to make a few records and everything. And, and especially in the post-alternative you know, if you if your second album sucked, you might have had a first hit album in the wake of all the bands that got signed after Nirvana, Soundgarden, everything. Yeah, you might have had a f- hit first album, but if your second album 
didn't immediately come out, they they were done with you. You were out. And it devastated a lot of bands that could have been a lot more. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. And I mean, some people that didn't get a chance to even bounce back. Like the crazy thing is I was, uh, when we back talking about the spin doctors, like that album with two princes and Loomis can't be wrong was like, I don't think people were gigantic and then <sighs> dead on arrival. The next one, like just done. And since, yeah. I mean, you can, they still play, you can catch them in little places, uh, nowadays, but like yeah. one album, huge second one, eh, like Hootie and the Blowfish, granted yep. people, you have one of the biggest albums like ever made that everybody knows. And then everybody gets sick of, like, I guess that's more of that than it is trying to prove yes. yourself as an artist, but I, um, I mean, I, this just came to me when you're talking about that, but you know, another a great example of this uh, phenomenon was sponge. Yeah. Who had with, with Molly and cloud sponge, you know, had two massive songs and, and um, cloud being, you know, prominently featured in empire records, you know, lots of people, and then they vanished. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, well actually static was pretty solid. Their follow-up was solid, but it wasn't like, enough to put because they had yeah. wax ecstatic and uh have you seen mary and then yeah. had gone after that like they even even bush to an extent mm-hmm. you know bush had a massively successful first time with many many singles mm-hmm. and then um well, razor blade suitcase had, yeah razor blade had swallowed and chemicals between us and, and mm, kind mouth of, and uh yeah yeah then yeah well they went like they like a lot of like i a lot of bands went started going electronica and i think after razor blade suitcase they went electronica and only only at the time for some reason we only accepted radiohead's journey into that like we turned on the pumpkins which and then we look back at these albums we're like you know they were they weren't bad they were onto something but we weren't we were only ready ready for what radiohead was giving us like apparently but um yeah bush went electronica with they had the letting the cable sleep. Um, oh yeah, that yeah. album. I think Chemicals Between Us was on that one. Might have been. And yeah, uh, and that was yeah that album and um, yeah like Smashing Pumpkins the door they just psh, turned. It's like we don't want yeah. that. It can converse um, another irony. Uh, my sons being sixteen and fourteen. We're looking at some videos on YouTube the other day that were like, "How fast can you name these songs from the 2000s?" Mm-hmm. and and so forth. And I took massive exception to the fact that the 2000s completely ignored all of the uh, fueled by ramen and emo bands. Oh, and there was like, like no dashboard confessional, no early panic, no paramore, no my chemical romance. Like none of they were completely absent, and that blew my mind. Wow, that was a massive subset. What was the band that quit after one album? Uh, of the the um, then they have a song called One Arm Scissor. Oh, it's not a. Is it at the drive-in? Yeah, like yeah, yeah, at the drive-in. Yeah, that yeah, that was yep at the drive-in. Red, red jumpsuit apparatus was another one of those. Bands. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it was like completely missing, and like wow, that's. That's bizarre to think that they would skip Spider-Man Two guys. Come on, head dashboard. Oh yeah, dashboard. There. Yeah. dashboard. <laughs> Come on, can't forget. Oh geez. Well, yeah. The the Venus thing is is great to look at, especially mm-hmm. in light of 
um, you could do a whole subset of music videos that were featured in uh, Hell's Bells. Right. Yeah. Oh, no, he totally like there's so much. Shebop was in there. I was like, that's one on my list. Uh, yeah. Shebop. So, I, I think that, you know, the, the late 80s um, MTV also was in the process of giving itself way over to two things distinctly hair metal and hip hop. And mm-hmm. if if you there, there was definitely a pop current going through the mill. I mean, Madonna was still Madonna. Um, Michael Jackson was still releasing singles from bad at this yeah. point, you know, there, there were, there's a lot of other, I mean, Prince had, um, you know, under the cherry moon and then Batman soundtrack, you know, the bad dance was, yeah. 89. Like, yeah. Your big artists were still releasing the stuff through the middle, but it was kind of gr- ramping up into these kind of two camps mm-hmm. for a while. Gotcha. Well, Troy, after watching the video for Venus by Bananarama, do you feel taken by the Dark Prince, your Lord and Savior, Lucifer, after seeing it? I uh, think that uh, Charon's boat sailed a long time ago. Uh, (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Uh, (laughs) I don't know, man. It's like, um, we'll we'll save this story for another day, but I, I do have personal experience with being accosted by a local religious figure for putting on a rock show. So oh. it is, uh, it, it, it's something that they've been familiar with for a long time. <laughs> awesome. Well, um, that'll do it for this week on the show. Troy, thank you for joining me before we go, let people know where they can, uh, get your happenings, read your things, enjoy your work. Um, I am. You know, on Twitter at Troy Brownfield, same as Instagram and Troy Brownfield on Facebook. And, you know, my regular writing is at the Saturday Evening Post, where I do a lot of pop culture stuff. And then I write about collecting at graphicpolicy.com. Excellent. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Brad4KUHD, written work at YSOBlue.com. That's it for today. Until next time, stay film positive. Thank you for listening. The Brandon Peters Show is a Creative Zombie Studios production. Produced by Brad Shoemaker and Brandon Peters. Written and edited by Brandon Peters. Announcer vocals by Jessica Alsman. Theme song by Metavari. Web design and show art by Brad Shoemaker with Brandon Peters. All music and clips featured in the episode are property of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Additional information on this and other episodes at brandonpetershow.com. For any inquiries, press opportunities, or sponsorship, contact mail at brandonpetershow.com. The show is available on Apple Music, Spotify, or anywhere podcasts are found.